It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Welcome aboard, and we hope you're staying well and safe. Thanks for taking the time to join us again, and we have another great guest in store. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. And joining us this week is futurist and author Chunka Moy. Chunka, it's really wonderful to have you again on ours. I think this is the second time we've done a podcast. Really uh, love having you, and uh, we're going to have a good time today. And you're you're having me back. That's that's pretty amazing. Oh, well, <laughs> absolutely. Come on, you are you are the visionary. Uh, because you've certainly hit the nail on the head um, up to now. Well, Chunka, in a, in a piece, speaking of that, in a piece in Forbes earlier this month with the headline, Five Ways Our Coronavirus Recovery Strategies Might Make or Break the Future, you focus really on rebuilding and you elaborate on some of your big concerns. Let's start there. Well, sure. Um, well, like everybody, I'm sitting here sequestered uh, for me in 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 beautiful Vermont, um, but worrying about what comes next, or at least thinking about what comes next, and you know, certainly there's a lot to do today. There's a, there's a lot to do in terms of dealing with this pandemic and dealing with the immediate effects of it. But in the course of dealing with that, essentially, we're going to spend a lot of money. You know, if if you look globally. Uh, almost $9 trillion has been committed by various governments, mostly in the G20, for aspects of um, recovery, stimulus, loan guarantees, direct payments, all that kind of stuff on this pandemic. And that money is going to be spent um, in a very short amount of time. And it's going to affect not only what we, you know, what we face today, but, but uh, the options that we have for the future. So that's what the article is about about how the choices that we make today will have really long lasting impact uh, for the good perhaps, or for the uh, not so good. And um, it's something we need to think about right now. How do you balance out the need to do some of these things in a hurry with the need for the kinds of planning that you're talking about? Sure. You know, it's, it's very, I, I hesitated a lot before writing this article because I didn't want to be tone deaf about this, but as I say in the article, um, oftentimes when you're fighting a fire, you forget that the water can do more damage than the fire itself. You still have to put out the fire, um, but you have to be careful how you do it and, and what the consequences of that are. And then when you start rebuilding after the fire, there's a tendency of wanting to rebuild as quick as possible to get back to normal, whatever normal was. So. In the, in the midst of that, it's very easy for people to say, don't bother me with the future I'm worried about now. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the future is based upon what we do now. Yeah, this is a, this is a really tough one because of exactly for the reason way that you put it, that in fact um, the the cure may be worse than the disease in some parts or some aspects of it, and we certainly need to need to be very careful uh, with what we do, and and hurrying may not be the the right thing to do right now. Why? Yeah. Because uh, the future is for a very long time. Right. Uh, the, the current is, is fleeting. And so therefore, uh, and this, and with this, in some sense, this is an opportunity to maybe take a deep breath and take a look at, okay, uh, what can we also fix while we're doing this, which I think a lot of Absolutely. companies are actually doing right now with, with this. Well, that, it's going to be a real test because, uh, you know, when you're in the, the analogy holds, when you're at a company level, you're fighting a fire as well. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying pause. I mean, I want this to be fixed as quickly as, 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 as the next person. But how we do that, I think, uh, will make a big difference. And I'm not just talking about what we spend on fighting the pandemic, uh, because that's going to be a lot of money. But we're going to spend even more on economic recovery. We're going to be making choices about where we, where we invest our stimulus doctor, dollars. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to make choices about what industries we support, 
We're going to make choices about what technologies we invest in, all as part of the, the, the path towards recovery. And it's those later things, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the, the uh, 60 or 70 percent of that $9 trillion that comes after this immediate fight that I think needs to be really, really well focused. Yes, and, and there are some aspects of this also with respect to some opportunities that we have with a lot of things, as you like to put them, maybe going to zero. And as those things go to zero, how do we take advantage of them, uh, use them as part of, um, as part of uh, trying to create a better world uh, coming out of this thing? Yeah, yeah. Talk about I mean, that a little bit. Well, I'm cer certainly, we're, we'll, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about that. But the backdrop, the context for, for what concerns me is that, you know, everybody on your, your uh, show knows that we have these rapid acceleration trends in technology. And when you, when, and we can go over those in detail, but they're really well understood. All the information technology things and the things that stem from that and energy and water and transportation. When you have these rapid accelerations um, with both large primary effects, but also large secondary effects, uh, how we spend $9 trillion will accelerate those, those trends and push us towards the consequences much faster than, uh, than any of us ever imagined. Um, so, you know, I'll take an example for a minute outside of transportation, which I know you all focused a lot Please, on. Yeah. Um, but you look at healthcare, right? I, I do a lot of work in healthcare as well as in transportation. And for the last 20 years, a lot of us have been trying to push the use of technology in healthcare for virtual care, for telehealth. And for a lot of good reasons and some not so good ones, that's been very slow and progressing, right? There are a lot of issues around how you provision uh, telehealth in, in the context of healthcare delivery services, and it's moved very slowly. Overnight in this pandemic, uh, literally overnight, we went from not knowing what to do about telehealth to every physician practice in the country adopting it, if they, if they could. Sometimes they couldn't because the load was too, too large. So all those important issues that we we thought uh, were relevant and slowed this down, all went away. So now we're left in the position of understanding how to accelerate or dealing with how to accelerate telehealth into, into healthcare delivery services. We left the situation was, well, how do we deal with the secondary effects of this rapid adoption? Perhaps much faster adoption than we otherwise would have before for the emergency. All right, so we suddenly went from really slow to really fast and, and now we have to sort out the consequences of that. Right, and, and, and see how we take the maximum advantage of that and, and avoid the pitfalls uh, exactly. that it might bring, which is uh, sort of the, the fundamental. But then in some sense, <clears throat> this is a real opportunity. I think within the healthcare system also, we might think we have great information systems, but my goodness, uh, in the early part of this thing, didn't seem like people knew what was going on, or maybe because everybody was using uh, basically this as a, an excuse to do something of whatever their agenda happened to be. They were, they were biasing the data this way or that way or, or, or yeah. whatever and so on. And, and so really, in some sense, our information systems uh, need to be looked at as to how, um, how they didn't quite work so well. How can they work better? And we had two issues in healthcare, which I think generalized to every industry. Uh, one was that for a lot of reasons, the data was awful, right? So, you know, healthcare systems work in silos, um, um, magnified by privacy concerns. Magnified by privacy concerns, right? right? I so, mean, that, which but, but, appropriately, right? Because right. That, that's been, that was misused in the past. Right, but okay. also magnified by, by um, <laughs> parochial business interests. Right. Right. So we work in silos because we actually operate in silos. So when it came to something as simple as how do we aggregate all this testing data on, on this coronavirus testing data, we actually couldn't do that. In the early days of testing, half of the tests came in without essentially contact tracing information. So, right. so it took a long time to figure out the results. And by the time we figured it out, we couldn't actually tell where the people were anymore. Right, so that's one, one issue. We couldn't do simple things like low balance hospital capacity. We couldn't right. figure out you know, exactly how many beds there were and, and you know, who had what supplies. 
And all of the, all of the national pandemic preparedness plans assumed that we would be able to shift resources to where we needed them. Um, but suddenly we weren't, we weren't able to do that. So that's one problem in healthcare. The second problem in healthcare that we've heard constantly about was that we had a system that was optimized. Uh, the supply chains were optimized to minimize inventory. So suddenly, you know, we went from needing th this much in terms of equipment of all various types to this much. And the supply chains were so optimized that you couldn't actually get the equipment anymore. There, you know, nobody was holding it. Nobody was making it to the levels that, that we needed. And there was no surge capacity. So we were and optimized. Some, some countries allegedly were hoarding as well. Some, well, you know, but the thing is, every country was hoarding, right? right? In, to a certain extent, just like every hospital system was hoarding, when, when you know, when, when the stuff hit the fan in New York, all the hospital systems other than New York were saying, well, I could send ventilators, but I don't know when I'm going to need them myself. And you had, you had an iteration of that, not because people didn't want to help, but because, you know, we didn't have the management systems to allow us to help even when we were willing to, right? So, so I think as we look at the logistics system, which gets us a little bit back towards the transportation side, what, yeah. what one had, what we did a really good job up to this point in time was to optimize that sucker so that it exactly. operated with minimum cost. Right, right. And, right. and yet resilience Surge out the window. Oh, right. All of a sudden, when you when you then face that the cost is not just what it's going to cost you to transport something or to hold something, but in fact has a secondary effect associated with quality of life and and and, and life itself. All of a sudden, this other term wasn't accounted for, and the resilience aspect wasn't there. So we really right. have to kind of rethink how to optimize the objective function needs to have this resilience right. term put back into it because just dealing with, with dollars and cents in, in some, it's, it's kind of good how well it could have worked a whole hell of a lot worse, yeah. but it could have worked a whole heck of a lot better. Well, this is an issue that you know better than I, I mean, in, in the sense that we had optimization functions that were really locally focused, right? With no systemic view you know, right. it, it didn't, right. didn't take into account some of these other things. Right. Figure, let somebody else worry about that sucker. I just got to worry about the, the, the dollars and, and, and cents that go through my, my particular thing, and I'm going to optimize that. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in, in real, real trouble. Right. So I'd if like your frame to ask, of reference is short. Yeah. Right. If your frame of reference is short and you optimize one way, if you won't. Ex to expand that and accept the inefficiencies for expanding, then you're going to optimize another way. Right. And that's actually some of the key decisions we have to make as we spend these dollars. What's the, you know, what's the, what's the frame of reference? Right. And, and how do we come out of this to try to basically build a better system that is better able to, to, to uh, respond to not necessarily another pandemic, but another thing that might uh, uh, cause such a disruption to everybody. A, a question I'd like to ask you uh, that, uh, that was triggered by your article. Uh, you know, apparently, 2% of the population is required to produce the food to feed the 7 billion, give or take. If it only takes that much, why why isn't that all t just taken care of? So, I mean, the key things are food, housing, clothing. I guess when you get right down to the thing, and it seems that basically in your in your sort of zero rush to zeros or trends towards zeros, it really seems that that of the things that we need for basic survival, so that we don't go out there and riot. I guess, or, or, you know, just go completely undone, can be done with very little part of this economy, very little part of this nine um, uh, trillion that you talk about. Um, any thoughts about how to go forward out of that with respect to those realizations? I, I think in general, we have to make some hard choices from a societal standpoint. Um, we have to understand where we're willing to invest in capacity. We, won't, we have to ask ourselves where we're willing to invest 
in, in the, these kinds of core capabilities that you want and recognize that uh, while I'm a capitalist, that the, the sort of the, the locus of, of control or the focus you have when you're talking about capitalism matters a lot, right? So, you know, are, are you going to optimize the food system, you know, to have this kind of larger capacity you're talking about to have the basic safety net? Or do you let the, the short-term market system, you know, guide that? You know, where, where, does, where does the invisible hand come, in, come into play? Um, but, I, you know, there are those big questions like that that we have to ask ourselves. But there are actually a lot of simpler questions that we can ask ourselves and probably agree are worthwhile addressing that fall short of fundamental political decisions. I'll give you an example. So you mentioned before future pandemic preparedness. Now, we know scientifically that there's another pandemic out there, right? The last one was 10 years ago. The next one could be 20 years from now. It could be five years from now. We don't know. Uh, when SARS happened, you know, um, I write about this in one of my articles. You know, we had, we had a surge of research going into SARS because there was a worry that it was going to be this large pandemic. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, SARS was so bad that it killed off all the people that got it before they could spread the, they could spread the disease. Um, That's not funny. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah. It, I but mean, it it's is. ironic. It's, it's ironic. ironic, right? Um, you know, with the coronavirus, we have this long incubation period. SARS, you just got it. and You could be identified and you died. Right, so the spread with the R zero was 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 low, but as soon as SARS was over, all that research into uh, coronaviruses and and virus pandemics it dried up. Not because we didn't have a whole lot of people saying, "Hey, look, this was not a one-off instance. This is a pattern." It dried up, and you know our short-term nature says to us, "Well." well that's a long-term problem now. We'll let somebody else worry about that. So I, I asked a really simple question in one of my articles that said, okay, for every stimulus dollar that we, we invest in terms of recovery, what if we took 2% of that and invested in the science around pandemic preparedness for the future? You still get the same stimulus effect, but you're focused on a long-term problem, right? It's a shovel-ready problem too, but it's not the kind of thing we would, we would typically do right, because we're focused on near-term, near-term issues. And if we wait until after this pandemic, the same thing is going to happen. We're going to drift back into short-termism. But if we say now, while we're sort of living this nightmare, that we should also prepare for the next nightmare in the course of uh, recovering from this one, then we have a small chance. You know, we have a small chance of thinking long-term. So is, is your sort of view on this that a vaccine is the only way out of this, or...? We're, we're, and 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 yeah. And why does it take so long to create a vaccine? But I, you know, the I, I mean, I, I I know that's a stupid question, and I don't mean to ask a stupid question. But no, no. You know, I, I mean, here's my problem with the whole vaccine, uh, the whole pinned on the vaccine. It's a best case scenario. If we got a vaccine in 12 to 18 months at at scale, that would be many times faster than we've ever done it before. Yeah. So the Ebola vaccine, and we were all focused on Ebola, took yeah. five years, Yeah. right? There are, there are a whole lot of, a whole lot of all the coronaviruses we actually don't have a vaccine for. We never developed a vaccine for SARS. We don't have a vaccine for common cold. It's a really, really hard problem. It requires both scientific breakthroughs and engineering breakthroughs. And we're acting like it's a matter of time. It actually may not come at all. So um, I really hope that, that it comes. So my, my question, my worry is that why does not take so long? My worry is that will it ever come? And are we planning for any other scenario? We're not. You know, we're, we're, we're planning for the best case scenario and ignoring the base case scenario, which is that it might take a really long time or the worst case scenario that says it might never come. Is there an opportunity to throw money at this or is, is it not? It, it, isn't it going, it's not going to be solved with money. Uh, oh, the, the coming up with a fast, I mean, if you, yeah. if you, you know, put a differential equation out there and you put the partial derivatives in there and you put in there and you, know, the, the, you see that, that the real sensitive term is get a damn vaccine out. Okay. Yeah. It, you know, so, so, 
There are but, alternative strategies. But, I, I think there are alternative strategies that we have to pursue in parallel, but money does help vaccines, right? Because it's research-based. Um, and, 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 you know, when, to, to use a trite example, you know, when we're trying to build an atomic bomb, um, there were a lot of different possible ways of get, getting the fissional material, and we didn't know which was the right one. So what do we do? We threw tons of money at every possibility and one of the four worked. Yeah. So we're going to actually have to do the same thing with vaccines. I would so think money, so. Money, yeah. And I think that's happening actually. Uh, there's, because that's the one thing you, you cannot not invest in right now. There's another aspect to the vaccine, which I think uh, we're not paying enough attention to, or at least I think the researchers are, but governments aren't, which is that the vaccines are going to require, uh, and this is one of the things that I talk about in my in my article, the vaccine is going to require global cooperation, right? Uh, because researchers have to share results across international boundaries. Uh, they have to help each other. I mean, can you imagine if we got a vaccine and we locked it up and didn't didn't allow it to cross borders? Well, that I mean. That, I mean, if anybody that, else did that, we'd be sending in sending in the troops, right? It, absolutely. But, I mean, that, that's almost a declaration of war. Right. But you need, you need to not just share the end result. All right. that research is going to help it move that much faster. So that fights against the trend of, towards isolation and nationalism and blame that's flying around right. uh, related to this pandemic. But I think vaccines are, are absolutely critical. I, I don't think we're spending enough time, or at least... From what I see, we're not spending putting an emphasis on testing, because testing is the fallback option of vaccines. Of if you can't, you know, if you can't, um, when's the last time you went to a dentist? Uh, well, um, right. uh, actually, <laughs> I think, so let me, I, here's, think here's I snuck a... in in February just before because I, you right. know, I've been sick yeah. and whatever, and right. I put it, but, but it, I lucked out. Uh, so, so here's here's the more interesting question: When's the next time you're going to go to a dentist? Yeah. When you right. go to the dentist the next time, you're going to be this far away from that person. Yeah. He'll have a, or she'll have a mask on. You okay. won't. Yeah. And they're, you're both going to be looking at each other and say, "Is this worth it?" Right. Right. And the only right. way to answer that question really is essentially to have the same capability that our president has, which is that five minutes before you see that dentist, you want him to take a test and he wants you to take a test. Yeah. Right. And right. teledentistry is pretty hard. <laughs> teledentistry is hard. You know, televaccinations are hard. Uh, telepediatric care is hard. Telehaircutting is hard. Telehaircutting is hard. But you know, the, 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 Tele, the, you know. Cost, is, the cost is low, but the dentist you're going to have to go to at some point. But you know, so before we get a vaccine, in order to really, really have the interactions that we want, you, you want really pervasive and good testing. And that's a scientific breakthrough as well that's required. Right. Uh, that would be that would be uh, certainly ideal and one that uh, says that uh, that in fact it's not say laying around that you haven't it has to test whether or not you have it or right. don't have not just whether or not you're sick because apparently you know there's a gestation period in this thing and which makes it all that much more difficult otherwise it'd be a taking a temperature right isn't um, so I want to talk about something I know you yeah. you two yeah. love and care about which is transportation right. Right. So here's the thing I worry about when I think about driverless cars and autonomous okay. transportation. I mean, there, I think in the long term, this stuff is going to work. In the long term, this is, this is going to drive the marginal cost of transportation down. Yeah. And we're going to have a lot of planning so, issues with that. Um, one of the things that this pandemic drives us towards is something I've worried a lot. I know you've worried a lot about this, Alan, as well, is that we can't actually think about driverless transportation as an individual service. Right, we have to think about. Uh, yeah, sure. You have to share a ride. You have to share a ride, otherwise we're going to have this massive, you know, increase in traffic and utilization and congestion, all this kind of stuff. Who the hell wants to share a ride? Right. Do, do you think? Do you think it's a long-term issue here? There are some people who think that uh, just the way people are now, when when you open up beaches, all of a sudden you see, in some areas at least, crowds of people paying no attention to social distancing at, well, at all anymore. Do you, do you really are, think that people are going to be that concerned long term? It depends on, it depends on where this pandemic goes. Right, right. You know, it's, does this pandemic, this coronavirus, 
get solved through testing and vaccines or did, does it become endemic right in, in in the population and we're always we're going to be worrying about you know who we're next to for a really long time yeah and even if it becomes you know even if it becomes technically solvable do we have enough fear that we say it's not worth it right so if i can if you know if i can get a driverless car for 50 cents a mile or even 25 cents a mile or share one for five cents a mile well my fear may take me to to the more expensive option because it's Absolutely. cheap enough yeah yeah so in the short term you know what it what does that mean for the where we invest the dollars in in uh, transportation in autonomous vehicle research and development and in the long term what does that mean for the product and you know i, I worry a lot about that you know gm um was focused on shared you know, right before the pandemic, they were showing their new models of shared vehicles and all that kind of stuff. I can't imagine they're spending much time on that right now. They might no, be. No, no, their, their old business model is a, a sort of perfect for this pandemic. It was almost made for them. I, I'd hate to say that because all of a sudden you want your personal vehicle, it's yours, you keep it, you shine it, you 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 ensure it, you do uh, it's yours. The idea of even shared vehicles, forget shared rides, all of a sudden, you know, the, the zip car concept dies. L look at what's happened to Hertz. Nobody wants to go out and rent a car that somebody else has been using. I mean, it, it, you know, these things now have cooties in them, you know, <laughs> and, and, and my goodness, if they have cooties, uh, my, uh, I don't know, maybe that's just because I'm so old. Maybe the other people don't understand cooties, right. but whatever. I when I grew up, that, right? you didn't want to get any near anybody <laughs> but, that had cooties. But you're, we're certainly, we're certainly in a case where this pandemic has thrown a loop in the, in the technology that, that you guys cover. Yeah. Both in the research development and what the eventual business models will be in the short term. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot more uncertainty. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty to begin with. Right. There's a lot more uncertainty now, though. You know, on the flip side, it probably enhances the interest in the technology for uh, freight uh, and and trucks and you know. So yeah. it, it may for, it, for that business, it's it's uh, for the home delivery for all that sort of stuff. It's actually perfect, uh, and and is is the real thrust. I mean the. Out uh, this week, as maybe Amazon is looking at Zooks. I mean, Amazon has to be working on this. Look, look, look Bezos Absolutely. is making money on free delivery, you know, uh, and uh, his his opportunity to get to free delivery is through this. And if the roads aren't being used by us, uh, why not use them to deliver this stuff to our door? The 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 um, the, right. the dinners, the food, the whatever. I mean, uh, it's it's made perfect. I look at it. I, of course, I have to look for the silver lining. The way, the way I look at the silver lining, it puts takes a lot of the pressure off the people to get it out soon, and therefore the the biggest hurdle that one always had was to get it out too early such that you have more Elaine Herzbergs or whatever crashes. You can't, you can't do that. This stuff really has to work. And right. if we can get it to work to move stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, we really in some sense don't care if it crashes. Of course we do, but right. you know, or we, we've whatever. also talked about the uh, opportunities and technology for, sanitizing vehicles of all kinds and right. the opportunities that are, that and, are may, and making compartments in there there's opportunities i think i've i've if i think back if we go back 30 years did we really think that they would put airbags all throughout the car that would right. basically make this into a you know pillows when we crash you know and so the technology went in there to do that and do that i, I th I think we can get into the situation of cleaning it. And yeah. if we have the testing, the testing of the individuals, I don't like, I hate the term social distancing. Why isn't it called physical distancing? The, the problem with social distancing is it tells us that we shouldn't even socialize. We shouldn't right. get together right. with our neighbors. Right. Even if we, I mean, really bothers me but of course whatever i mean uh, it uh, 
the, but the physical distancing, we can handle that in, in maybe various ways to create compartments and so on and so right. forth. Uh, maybe it's, it's kludgy and so on. Um, if you look at what we've gone through post 9-11 uh, uh, to make airports, uh, to deal with the uh, airport hijacking problem, look at what we've learned to, to, um, to put up with and still have that grow to, you know, ex extreme heights. Uh, now this lack of socialization that is implied by the social distancing is the thing to me that really hurts. I think we can deal with the physical. Uh, we don't, act, I mean, I've always, I'm French. I will always love to kiss ladies on the cheek. I mean, even kiss guys on the cheek. You know, it's it's a French thing, I guess. You're going to have to give that up, I'm afraid. I, I, holy mackerel. I, okay, I can clean it up and we don't need to <laughs> shake hands and we can do some other things. But, uh, and I guess I'll learn the learn to, to love, the, love it also. Yeah. But um, well, we don't yet know what the impact um, all this, I mean, it depends on a lot of factors that haven't played out yet, but, but the whole notion of um, consumer behavior, consumer preference, I mean, who wants to get on a subway right now? Or who wants to get on a plane? So, so there's, in transportation, we essentially have this massive influx of, of new forces, right? New issues that's going to, that's going to force, a, unfortunately, it's going to force a sorting out, right? At every level. Uh, who wants to live in a high-rise? Yeah, who wants, who to, live wants to live on a high-rise? Right. You know, if I we used don't to live... have high-rises, <laughs> then what happened to our smart city things that everybody was all, you know, oh, we have to have smart cities. Uh, what did China just build over the past, you know, 15 years? You know, half of their population or something like that is now in towers. Right. Well, we also have to think about the divided population here because a lot of people don't have the concerns that half the people are, or more do. So uh, how that shakes out, how we right. how we socialize with each, with each other in that environment is yeah. a pretty tough nut to crack. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, this this is not a, I think it was Steve, uh, Steve Blank who wrote that this is not a socially correct uh, virus. This right, is not a social. One, one of the unfortunate good things of nine about nine eleven. Excuse, excuse me for saying that there is whatever. New York came together. Right, it's all. Well, the whole country you, came you, together. The whole country Political came parties together. didn't matter. You, right? You'd go, you'd go on the New York City subway system, and you'd say hello to people, and you'd greet them, and 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 this business of 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 you know never even making eye contact that existed before nine eleven shifted this darn thing no you don't yeah. you don't even want to make icon i mean it, it the, the the social the the anti-socialization of this thing is yeah well big problems you know of all the sort of emotional struggles i have with the current situation the one that really tugs at me quite a bit is the fact I mean, how I can't even fathom the fact that we somehow politically polarized a pandemic. I mean, how, how how could you do that? I mean, it's unconscionable. And part of it is, I think, that it's not a politically correct um, virus in the sense that it, it affects some people much worse than others. Yep. And part of it is a time lag thing, right? So, I mean, it has not hit certain parts, and God forbid, I hope it doesn't, but it has not hit certain certain regions the way it's hit you know, the tri-state area and, and, and dense cities, but- And the poor so, and the elderly, right. I mean, my goodness, decimated them. <laughs> right, it, and you know, um, until you touch it, until you feel it, it seems so distant. And let's hope not too many people touch it, but I'm afraid they will. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETF, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, Symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. And this reminder when you get to the website, read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. The information there can help you make an informed decision. ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with your investments and, and focus on a particular category. 
That site again is MOTOETF.com. Getting to some of the headlines in the latest smart driving car newsletter, Alan. Uh, you mentioned it already. The Wall Street Journal has been reporting that Amazon's in advanced talks to buy Zooks for less than the $3.2 billion Zooks raised in a funding round a couple of years ago. Right. I mean, even if, I mean, it'd be good if they got them, it, get them getting those people at a bargain. I mean, uh, that's uh, seems like a no brainer there. Um, and again, uh, the opportunity for Amazon is for the delivery of goods. And uh, why not? And chunk of this one's for you. Vermont's transportation agency is seeking comments on a draft of its rules for automated vehicle testing. And Alan, you, you point out in the latest newsletter, uh, they're getting in the game. Yeah, they're getting in the game. And I guess, you know, testing, um, uh, I don't know that there really should be rules on testing as long as you have a, a licensed driver that's uh, that's paying attention and uh, not under the influence behind the wheel ready to take over. Uh, the issue is not in testing. The issue is in is in uh, deployment and uh, and the testing. Of course, it's going to is going to have human oversight. Nobody's out there would test a, a driverless vehicle without somebody in it. I mean, it's just not worth it. Put the person in it. It's not worth the risk. And so, as long as that's in there, geez, go out there and do it. It's really important to do it. In, in Mother Nature. Mother Nature throws a lot of curveballs out there. We pick up a lot of them in simulation. We can put some in test tracks. We can kludge up you know, some sort of a, of a physical test. But, but out there, you know, just encountering it with then human oversight. One of the keys that of course I've been saying, you know, we are excellent drivers as long as we pay attention. Our problem where we get ourselves in the trouble and the reason why we have any safety issues in, in these things is, is, not be, is not because we're not good drivers. It's because every once in a while we, uh, you know, <laughs> pick our nose, and do bad things, misbehave. If you can stop the misbehavior, all of a sudden, my goodness, you know, you don't have to really be that good of a driver to do a whole heck of a lot better than we do because we have to take into account these dips in our abilities, okay? And that's our human nature, unfortunately. Yes, we try to deal with it. We try to, you know, have laws and so on and fine you and, and threaten you and so on. But in fact, it really is, it's the, it's the unfortunate misbehaviors of us. One of the easy things, the best things that these technologies can do is misbehave a whole heck of a lot less. And that's where the real advantage is. Absolutely. While the news hasn't been very good elsewhere, Aurora has announced it's increased hiring, doubling its workforce to 500 people. They're yeah. taking advantage of the situation, I guess. Hey, that's again, uh, when there's challenges, those are opportunities. And if you happen to have, uh, you know, uh, good financial backing and some others don't, there's some people that are on the street that uh, probably can help you an awful lot. And uh, if they're out there, pick them up. And, um, and we're picked up three very good senior people as well as some others. And uh, this is an opportunity. Plus, you know, given that there are, uh, the, it's, it's getting a little tougher, that's when the tough get going. And it's, uh, it's not, as, not as crazy out there. So uh, yeah, there's, there are opportunities here. Again, uh, this is part of the silver lining. Sounds like you've got your coaching hat on now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look at some of my students. I mean, some of the, you know, they've they've had to go home, but but those that are sitting there coding, man, they've just had to. Whoa, it's amazing how much coding they've done. You know, <laughs> they can do that remotely. Intel's Mobileye has demonstrated a self-driving car that uses cameras, and they've put an unedited forty-minute video of a vehicle navigating a 160 mile stretch of, of Jerusalem streets. I don't think they did 160 miles in 40 minutes, but 
Oh, well, I, I think they sped they sped the thing up, and of course, uh, you really can't tell whether or not they had any disengagements or not. Hopefully, they didn't have any disengagements in that, and even uh, no disengagements in 160 miles is 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 no big feat. Um, and I think that what the article also has is it has some back of the envelope. Uh, uh, numbers out there to really look at what you need to be able to do to be able to scale this. To me, those are the that, that's the important contribution of, of what's there. Uh, I sort of like back of the envelope numbers just to make sure you know if we're if we're not in the right order of magnitude in these things, then uh, you know we have a whole heck of a lot of work to do. And and being in the right order of magnitude is is really important. We can get to the fundamental details, put some more decimal places on top of it, uh, but we first have to get in the right ballpark. While we wait for Elon Musk to hopefully launch a couple of astronauts into space this weekend after the scrubbed launch yesterday. Oh, two and a half hours <laughs> yesterday watching that thing. You know, I, I was just asking myself, how do you put yourself on a launch window that you have to match precisely without the, without the opportunity to have some slack in it? Talk about, uh, you know, well, it's painting yourself in a corner i mean who picked that launch window well never mind the weather did not cooperate and uh, <laughs> well i mean it, it looks like either it's saturday or sunday if, if it's yeah right and, and so on but my goodness uh, yes i understand that you have to match orbits and you have to you they're in different inclinations but you know it's only a, you know a little bit of energy and so on I'm, i was just surprised I'm, i've been watching launches since the vanguards used to blow up on my tv when i was in <laughs> in the, either high school or whatever and i did have the great opportunity to be at uh, the Apollo 11 launch. I think that's the only live launch I've been to. Awesome. Well, you know, I remember getting up early and drinking my tang and, and watching Walter Cronkite. So. <laughs> no, I was down there and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's, that's when we were all going to Mars. Yep. What did that die in 1970? Well, maybe, <laughs> and, maybe Elon's bringing it back. Uh, Elon, <laughs> Elon's trying, I guess. Uh, it, it really, um, it is a it is a different world. I mean, it really is a different world. And well, he's got some Tesla news. They've cut prices on some models, not the new Model Y, by as much as five thousand dollars, and they've reportedly have a huge backlog of fifteen thousand Model Three orders in China. Yeah, and they've cut some prices in China to get to get some of the stimulus. Uh, money out of China and so on. And if you look at who, where, where the marketplace for cars is today, it's China. And if they're coming out, apparently, I guess, you know, they seem to be coming out of this, uh, this pandemic uh, faster than the rest of us. It seems like they're out there buying it. So is it, uh, you know, an iPhone craze? I mean, uh, hey, it's nice to see that, uh, you know, it used to be Boeing airplane and, and iPhones is what Americans sold. Maybe now we're selling Teslas um, manufactured in, in Shanghai, uh, I guess, but it'd be nicer if they were manufactured in, um, in the U.S., but um, whatever. Well, he's it's, building it's, here too, and uh, and and more to come. There's a video of a Tesla Cybertruck uh, driving into the boring company's tunnel. Another Musk venture. Yeah, I mean, uh, if under you, Los Angeles. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, Jay Leno along. Jay Leno <laughs> along, and I guess it's it's a CNBC or somebody or NBC promotional sort of thing, and it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you'll smile when you watch it. Uh, you know, it's a great uh, it's total promotion. I mean, they are truly madmen, you know, I guess. <laughs> well, a chunk of the futurist, uh, does Tesla have a monopoly they're going to go after on, on cars in 10 years? <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of players in that space. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's really interesting, and uh, and it shows that if um, you go just change a few things, my goodness, there are opportunities there, and and of course the valuations are the valuations, uh, but uh, it takes your breath away. Uber is reportedly dumping tens of thousands of electric jump bikes from that failed venture, uh, throwing them away. Uh, a lot of people are wondering what they're thinking. Bike sales are, are doing well during the pandemic, especially e-bikes. 
So it no. doesn't seem like Uber can can figure out the right thing to do anywhere. But uh, yeah, what you know? I guess they were sort of clunkers, or they you know they. I guess there there must not be a, a great demand, secondary market demand for those things, and in the end, maybe um, scrapping them is the. Um, well, maybe it's the uh, same concept you were talking about before, Chunka, uh, sh with shared rides. Do people want to get on a bicycle that somebody else just got off of? You know, it's a good question, but bicycles themselves are moving. But keep an eye on Uber's freight business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's they're 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 there. They can they can do that again. That's an opportunity for those drivers. Uh, happy for them. They've. That, that business model has created employment for a sector of the population that desperately needed it and, and was probably, uh, you know, life savings for, for large numbers of people. The issue is, is does this scale beyond 1% type of thing? You know, they, they, they did the 1% level. They really weren't able to grow beyond that and maybe in the movement of, of, of goods and the home delivery and so on that, uh, that that's a, that's a real opportunity and that's wonderful. I mean, again, that's, that's part of getting the economy going um, uh, with people with the means paying those uh, to provide services that are valued to them. I mean, that's fundamental. That's fundamental to the economy. And uh, you've talked about Boeing and the 737 MAX from time to time. Well, they've resumed production. Yeah, um, they've resumed production, not at a very said, high who's, rate. Who's, who's going to be flying? We don't know yet. But uh, Yeah, I mean, you still have a, how many of them parked, uh, you know, in the desert, plus how many other airplanes parked, plus who is going to be flying where and by how much. And the, the, the short haul business must be you know, is, is going to be struggling for, uh, for a while. I mean, if you have a car and you have to go under, you know, 300 miles, 400 miles, uh, you're going to drive it with your family. You're not going to go to Newark airport and stand in line and get whatever and what to do and all that stuff and so on and so forth. I mean, you're just, uh, if you're, if you're going to go from Newark to, to Los Angeles and, you know, sure, or maybe, even Newark to Florida, but you know, you can imagine anybody who's going to go vacationing in Florida is probably going to take their car. Well, what do you think, uh, <laughs> Chanko? What do you? <laughs> oh, I, I think that's yet another sort of uh, wrench thrown into the transportation. The current assumptions about transportation. You're right. The the overhead for flying, even if you want to do it, is definitely going to go. It's definitely going to go up. Uh, which you know increases the range where it makes sense to to do other methods. Um, yet another opportunity for driverless cars. Right, and 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 in in the sense when you when you look at that, even even though the price of fuel, which is a big element of the cost of of air transportation, has gone down drastically. I mean, who would have ever thought that right. that few oil futures would be negative? I mean, Chunka, if you would have ever said that, you know, they would have thrown you out of the room. Yes. <laughs> if right. I would have ever, I ne yeah. it never even came to my mind before it happened. Right. That's how, I mean, that's how bad my mind is. <laughs> And, did, it, and, did it come and enter your mind ever? <laughs> and there are whole volumes to, to be written about what the implications of this pandemic will be, be on energy yeah. and on climate change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, uh, people aren't moving and so on. I mean, if you look at our consumption of energy per unit person over this last couple of months, it's probably been... Right. And this is one of those key areas that we have to decide from a stimulus standpoint. Do we invest in the new technology or do we invest it to save the old industry? And uh, you can make a reasonable argument for both. And th th that choice is going to be made and it's going to have a huge impact on our carbon footprint going, future, going forward. Yep. Well, Alan, we've got another live Zoom tank coming up in, in a few days on, on Tuesday. It's going to take place 2 p.m. Eastern Tuesday. Everyone's for connectivity, but what's it for? Who owns or controls the data and how far does privacy extend? This should be a good one. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the connected cars were supposed to be the, the, the thing, but uh, yeah, it's nice to have connectivity, but again, uh, 
what's it for? Is it really for safety? Is it for comfort? Is it for, uh, is it for social control? Uh, so we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a little shark tank and uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring the audience in and uh, have a discussion for, for an hour or so. Again, uh, these are not easy topics. And as we've discussed here, these are not easy topics. And I certainly don't want to suggest that I know the answer. I don't. I certainly don't. And, uh, but, but I think they're, they're worth all of us to think about it and, and to really work together to try to, to, try to come up with, uh, with uh, the good decisions. And, and, uh, and again, take this as an opportunity to improve the quality of life of the plant of the people that live on the planet and again it's it should be bringing us together not separating us we really have to do it together and in fact doing it together we can probably end up doing a heck of a lot better job than if we try to do it individually and certainly we don't want to get the better solution and keep it from everybody else i mean really come on i mean what the heck i think we were just talking about vaccines that way too (laughs) yeah no absolutely absolutely. i mean you know this is this is an opportunity to help others and that's that's where we should be focused and on how we can help others as well as ourselves if you want to take part uh you do need to register and the place to do that is zoom-tank.com that's going to do it for this edition thanks to our sponsor the smart etfs Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is at MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Chunka Moy for joining us again today. Really great, Chunka. Thanks for having me. Chunko, it's great having you. So it's wonderful to do this. I mean, it's it's nice. It's really nice that we have the opportunity to do this. I mean, and absolutely. We, you know, we're knock on wood, very thankful for that, and hope uh, certainly everybody else has the same opportunity that we have to sit here and basically pontificate or something, and, and really think about these things. But it, it's worthwhile thinking about. Yeah. yeah, I know you're in Forbes, uh, and people should look up that article, but uh, where else can people go to follow what you're doing? Uh, Forbes is a great place. You can also just go to my website, chunkamoy.com. Yeah, and Chunka has some great books out there. And in fact, you know, the your writings at the beginning of the, the, the driverless, um, let's call it revolution, uh, it was really, really uh, right on and, and, uh, and, uh, and, wonderful lead to, to, to all that. So Thank you. Um, I love, um, love uh, chatting with you. And the spelling is uh, C-H-U-N-K-A-M-U-I. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and stay safe. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, physical distance.